Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast, the draft podcast edition, episode two, presented by Pepsi. The Jets no longer have Sam Darnold on their roster, traded to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets receive a sixth-round pick in 2021, a second and a fourth-round pick in 2022. We have Charles Davis on the podcast, who caught up with Olivia Landis, or Olivia Landis caught up with Charles Davis, should I say. They broke down options at 223, the whole shebang, but let's start off with the big news here. QB1 open for business here at One Jets Drive. Yeah, I think uh, Joe Douglas said it uh, very well that it's a fair assessment that the Jets will take a quarterback with that number two overall selection. Most people think that it is a certainty. Even Urban Meyer has talked about uh, Trevor Lawrence going to the Jacksonville Jaguars at number one overall. So, for a long time, we were saying the NFL draft actually starts with the New York Jets at number two. Well, maybe you can say if the Jets have already zeroed in on their man, maybe it goes beyond that to number three with the 49ers. But uh, it's very likely the Jets are taking a quarterback at number two overall. So no surprise there. I thought Douglas did a good job with his news conference. And Sam Darnold gets a chance at a reboot, he's still 23 years old, uh, third, uh, three years here, 13 to 25 as a starter. Um, it, it didn't work out, but I still think Sam Darnold can be a very good quarterback in the National Football League. And on the other side of the coin, the Jets are starting anew. A lot of excitement with that. And Joe Douglas also said, you know, if the Jets were picking not number two overall, a little further back, that the conversation of trading Sam wouldn't even have been a thought to cross his mind, but I think it's just a unique set of circumstances, the way the chips fell. And now the Jets over the next two drafts, they have 10 picks this year. They have 11 picks next year. This year, we've talked about it, five picks in the first three rounds. They have four in the first two rounds next year in 2022. So there's a lot of work still to be done here for the Jets. But, you know, you mentioned the draft maybe starts at three. Some people think maybe it starts at four because some people think, well, if the Jaguars and the Jets have zeroed in, maybe the 49ers have followed suit and zeroed in as well. But Do you think the 49ers have taken Mac Jones as we say here? I really don't know. I don't know. I mean, a lot of people have made it a point to say, well, they went to Alabama's Pro Day, which was the same day as Justin Fields' Pro Day at Ohio State. But then also... Justin Fields is throwing again and the 49ers either won. Well, they definitely have another chance to go, but I think they're expected to be there in Columbus to watch Justin Fields. So I don't know. I have a hard time believing that they've zeroed in on a player, but maybe I'm just naive. I don't know. I mean, do you think that they've zeroed in on Mac Jones? I don't know. It it seems like people who know the 49ers or know their way of thinking, they got a pretty good beat on it. So Mm -hmm. At this point, if you're going to tell me the 49ers take Mac Jones at three, am I surprised? Definitely not. I'm not surprised. I just I don't know if I would place a bet on it. Okay, I, right. you know, yeah, I, yeah. Well, this is this is what the, you would place a bet that quarterbacks are going one two in the 2021 NFL draft. Yes, I would, <laughs> and I would I would go as far to say one two three. Yeah, I agree. With that. Not four. I'm not I'm not betting four. That would be a risky parlay. Anyway, with the Jets, I, I think now the intrigue naturally comes at pick 23. So, I mean, we can talk about that after we hear from Charles Davis, or you want to talk more about the 
quarterback it's up landscape. To you. We talk about it all the time that you've been studying it up on the draft with the athletics, Dane Brugler. Congratulations, by the way, Dane. Yeah, the beast. Getting that beast out there. Everybody at home, uh, you know, if you don't subscribe to the athletic, let's just give some pub, a rightfully so, and uh, applause to Dane Brugler for everything that he brings to the table, uh, getting people ready for the NFL draft. But let me ask you. So 23 right now, are you zeroing in on prospects or positions? I'm at positions. Oh, right okay. Now. You know, I, I think that, you know, when we just talk shop and, you know, there are players that come to mind, but obviously we don't know how the board falls out in front. So I think when I look at the Jets team needs or perceived needs after free agency and who could be there at 23, I think offensive line makes sense there. You know, I I think, and you'll hear Charles Davis say this too, but the the idea of a running back at 23 and 34 is a popular opinion. I don't know if I'm ready to say that, but I wouldn't be averse to selecting another wide out and maybe at one of those picks, maybe most likely 34 Okay, cornerback stands out. And then after that linebacker, which might be an unpopular opinion and then edge and, you know, maybe. All right. So give, so give me a couple names at each spot. Okay. As we sit here right now. So uh, you, you, let's start with offensive line, right? So you're right. thinking more interior probably? I'm thinking, yeah, I, I definitely am thinking interior, but also like could there be players that have played tackle in college that might fit the interior at the pro level or maybe uh, for one year and then kick out to tackle, it, you know, offer the versatility. So give me two to three names. Then. All right, well, you know, can I include Elijah Barrett Tucker or are we say we're saying he's not even an option? I'm going to be surprised if he's there, but you can definitely include him. Sure. All right. Well, you know, a lot, I, Elijah Barrett Tucker is the name to watch. I think, okay. you know, and I asked Dane this, what would be the spot given the jets ammunition that if he's available, you're like, you know, we're going and we're getting this guy. And he said the teens, you know, maybe mid to late teens. So if he's available at like, you know, 15 onward, 18 onward, maybe you want to jump up five spots. I and think we should discuss this at a later podcast at that point as far as going up. But fair. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Um, and ter- I, I really like Creed Humphrey. You know, I, I think that, you know, I'm not a draft analyst, but when you read the different reports, including Danes and you hear Daniel Jeremiah and Jim Nagy spoke about Creed Humphrey or tweeted about him because Creed Humphrey was at the senior bowl. He offers three position versatility. He only played center in college, but he was reliable. He was a very good player for the Sooners. And I think the wrestling background is something that shows up at least that supposedly shows up. So I will Creed Humphrey go in front of Dickerson from Alabama, or you think it's going to be very close. Like what once one of them goes, the other one's going to go. Well, uh, I, I think relatively soon after, I think that's a fair point. I think the other part about Landon Dickerson, you know, let's say you think Landon Dickerson's the premier talent of the two, just like raw talent. Landon Dickerson has the medical questions. Yes. So Creed Humphrey does not have that. So maybe a team that wants a sh- more of a surefire, nothing surefire. Let me say that, but wants someone that doesn't have a medical past or medical questions. I think you go with Creed Humphrey. So, and just a side note, Creed Humphrey said one of his favorite centers to watch, Nick Mangold. So that naturally intrigues me. Um, I think someone that a lot of people have put Tevin Jenkins out there, right? He played tackle Oklahoma State. I don't know how good of a mover he is. We've discussed that before. Uh, One name to watch that I don't think anybody's talked about this pre-draft process. At least, you know, we haven't discussed them when I've 
done my segment with Dane, Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama. He's an intriguing option too. You know, Jedrick Wills played last year on the right side. Leatherwood's been the left tackle the past two seasons. Okay. That's an interesting name to watch. So th- those are the guys to me that I'm intrigued by. You know, is there anyone that you're intrigued by in terms of interior offensive linemen? Uh, one guy you didn't mention was Wyatt Davis. A lot of people think that he's right. one of the best pure run blockers. I don't know about the position flexibility because Davis just feels like he's a guard. You know, right. plug and play. He's going to start for you. He's going to get after it in the run game. Um, so uh, Vera Tucker, my hunch is he's not there at 23. If he is, I mean, that would definitely have to be under consideration. For sure. Um, the other position groups that you mentioned, linebackers. After Michael Parsons and also Owusu Koromoa from Notre Dame, if both those guys go in the top 20, who, who's the next person in the range of the 23s and the 34s? So I think that there's kind of a clump. There's Nick Bolton yep. out of Missouri, a little bit undersized, but plays downhill very well. Zaven Collins out of Tulsa is a very long player. I've seen comparisons just today. I saw a comparison. Zaven Collins is Anthony Barr 2.0. Daniel Jeremiah seemed to like that comparison. Uh, And then one guy who's been scorching up in terms of a draft process. Jamin Davis. Yeah, Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. So, And I know you like him. That's an interesting name to watch. I do think that there are other players that we've discussed, like Jabril Cox out of LSU that might be available not at – 23 or 34, maybe a little later, Pete yes. Werner out of Ohio State. Th- this is where I find it interesting because what when if you were to say like compare linebacker and edge on this roster needs and the prospects available, well, would you uh, it's interesting because the Jets added Carl Loss and they added Jared Davis, but I would almost make the argument that the linebacker might be more of a pressing need than edge. It's interesting that you brought up linebacker because we're doing our positional previews on NewYorkJets.com, not just in video form or podcast form, but we're looking at them editorially. And I just looked at the roster. The Jets have seven linebackers on the roster right now. And the three up top, of course, are C.J. Mosley and Blake Cashman and then Jared Davis. So what else are you going to do there, though? And how appealing would that be to you taking somebody there early? Or is it a philosophy bet where, hey, we can get somebody later on who fills a typical uh, fills a skill set that we're looking for maybe later in the draft? What I think we're going to find out more about Joe Douglas and company as far as the positions they value for this draft in particular. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment to say. And, let, well, let's talk about cornerbacks and wide receivers. But first, let's hear from Charles Davis. Charles, after GM Joe Douglas traded quarterback Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers, he spoke to the media and said it is a fair assessment that the Jets will be taking a quarterback with that number two overall pick. In your opinion, who do you envision being the best quarterback to come to the New York Jets with that number two pick? Well, Olivia, I think that, you know, what we envision and what Joe Douglas and, and now Robert Sala and crew envision may be the same. It may be different to me. Zach Wilson is the choice there at a BYU. He would be my number two quarterback if I were doing a whole bunch of uh, the ranking game. 
but I was started watching him as the season progressed. And then as we got into the off season and obviously the run up to the draft did a little bit more, of course, like everyone else. And I've been extremely impressed with him. He seems to fit exactly what you would want in trying to kickstart a franchise, trying to build around someone. And he's very similar to me in a lot of ways with maybe even a little more athleticism than Joe Burrow was last year coming out of Ohio State in terms of what I call second and third reaction plays. Beautiful arm, great touch, plays with a ton of poise. Teammates really gravitate towards him, having spent some time with people at BYU and and other people around him. And, and, and this kid loves ball. I mean, he's all ball all the time. And I give him extra points for having played through injured a couple of years ago. And people were starting to criticize him and, you know, people not understanding what he was playing with and trying to play through. So I like this kid a lot. And they have great options, obviously. You know, I, we, we all assume Trevor Lawrence will be gone to Jacksonville. But out of the grouping of Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and, of course, Zach Wilson, of course, uh, in, in that grouping, I would take Zach Wilson at number two and go from there. Well, you mentioned Zach Wilson. Let's dive a little bit deeper into him. What about his strengths and even weaknesses do you think would make him a good fit in a system that is going to be run by offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur? Well, I'll start with the so-called perceived weaknesses. You know, size is always something that comes into play. Um, he's not, you know, the biggest, strongest, stoutest guy you're ever going to see. I don't think he's as small as maybe some people think. I think he's going to check in somewhere around 210, 61 or so. And thank goodness we've we've erased that stigma about every quarterback having to be 6'5", 230 pounds. You know, <laughs> we've seen smaller people be extremely successful in this league and you go back now in the NFL and you go back in time, I'm sure you would talk to a lot of past coaches, GMs, evaluators would have said, yeah, I should have taken a chance on that smaller guy before, you know, because there were plenty of them that we rejected along the way. Well, we're not doing that now. Too many of these guys can play and he's not tiny. So it's not like Eddie LeBaron to give you one that, that will send everyone searching Google going, who the heck was Eddie LeBaron? Google him. You'll find out he was a significant quarterback in the NFL, but he was tiny. He's not that guy, all right? But at the same time, is he Trevor Lawrence's stature? Is he Justin Fields' stature, Trey Lance's stature? No, not at all. Those are big, strong, really physically well-put-together youngsters. This kid is put together fine. He moves great. He sees things. He throws with anticipation and touch. He can throw the deep ball. He can throw the short the short passes and keep the, keep the chains moving. He can make extra plays with his feet. And you mentioned with, with Mike LaFleur coming over, members, brother Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Packers, and coming out of that San Francisco system that, that, that Kyle Shanahan ran and emphasized, Kyle's had success with quarterbacks of all shapes, sizes, types. I don't see any – I don't think anything's going to change here with Mike LaFleur doing the same thing with Zach Wilson. Charles, we talked a lot about Zach Wilson's strengths, but what do you think some of the biggest adjustments are going to be that he's going to have to make coming into the NFL? I'd say, Olivia, the normal adjustments that all these quarterbacks have to make, you know, whatever the terminology is and, and how he relates that to what he's learned before at BYU. Um you know, just conducting yourself as a pro all the time, even though a lot of these collegiate kids carry themselves better. They're still kids and still growing. You know, they're still learning and maturing. So he'll have to do that a little bit and take on some of those pressures and realize that when you get in the huddle now, 
you know, you're doing it with a bunch of people who have families and, and, and maybe they don't relate quite as well initially with you. Although when you think about BYU with their two-year missions, they have a lot more, a lot more mature kids there. So he, he is kind of used to that along the way. I think the other part is just realizing that day-in, day-out gr- uh, grind really goes a lot longer. Now you maintain yourself during that time. How do you get away, if, if, if even for a short time, clear your mind a little bit so you can go back in and dive back into the grind again so you don't hit the proverbial wall? And let's face it, he's coming to the New York, you know, New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. He's going to be in a spot now where, you know, let's face it, we, we lock in on everything. I grew up in upstate New York, so I know what it's like and what he's walking into. You know, Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville. There's a ton of pressure being the number one pick, but that's nothing like coming to New York, not even close. So when you throw that in there as well, those are the adjustments that you make. But this seems like a very mature young man, and I don't expect to have much problem with all of that. Well, we know that New York is definitely tough and gritty, so that will definitely be an adjustment for anyone, no matter who ends up coming. But like we said, the number two overall pick is going to be very critical for the Jets. But let's dive a little bit deeper into those later picks, number 23 overall and number 34 overall. If the Jets do target a quarterback with the number two overall pick, who do you think they might be targeting with that number 23 and 34 pick later on? Well, what happens oftentimes, Olivia, with young quarterbacks is you like to pair them with people who are going to support them, protect them, take care of them. We can go through time, and I'll give one example. When Matt Ryan came out of Boston College and Atlanta was just miserable, there's a huge school of thought in that draft that maybe that the Falcons don't take the quarterback there, right? I mean, because you take the quarterback, the team's still going to be lousy, and he's going to get beat up. Maybe you do something different. At that time, there's a kid by the name of uh, Dorsey, Glenn Dorsey, who played at LSU that people were saying – that might be the guy you should go get during that time. Well, the Falcons took Matt Ryan, and, and, and then what they did was they, they jumped back into the first round later with a trade and drafted a left tackle out of the USC by the name of Sam Baker to give him a foundational guy. Well, here's the beauty of it for the Jets. They did that last year with Mekhi Becton. But do you want to continue to get your offensive line better? You know, George Fant right now is probably your right tackle. Do you want him to still be your starter? Do you still want do you still want to bring in someone else who may push him and possibly be that guy? Could a Jalen Mayfield from Michigan still be around that you could put at right tackle to help him out at that time? Or do you go with another weapon? Because at that point, running backs have we probably haven't started on that mission yet. We probably haven't started down that road. This sounds like one of those years where we're not going to have Ezekiel Elliott go number four <laughs> overall to Dallas or Leonard Fournette. Go number six to Jacksonville and Christian McCaffrey, number eight to Carolina. This sounds like by the time we get to the 20s, we may not have had a running back taken. And in fact, it seems unlikely. So do the Jets now think to themselves, do we build with another person to help this young quarterback? And maybe they might have their first swing at whoever the best running back is. Is it Travis Etienne from Clemson to them? Is it Najee Harris from Alabama? Javante Williams from North Carolina. To me, it's it's either ETN or it's Harris. But that could be a possibility for them as well, right, sitting there at 23. And part of that might be this is a pretty deep tackle class, pretty deep offensive line class. The Jets might very well say to themselves, let's go get that weapon is the running back right now, get him, and then come back and get a tackle later on or another offensive line to continue to beef up that line for our young quarterback. We'll see.
Charles, where do you specifically see the most depth in this in this 2021 NFL draft? Well, it's starting to become a broken record, Olivia, but every year there are a million receivers because of the way the colleges are pitching the ball around. So there's always a ton of receivers there. But I do think there's a lot of depth in the offensive line. I, I don't think it's just restricted to one of the positions either. I think tackles, interior guys, there are a lot of really good players in this draft that way. I think when you flip it over to the other side, defensive backs continue to rise because there has to be answers in college football to try and slow down these offensive guys. So a number of them actually have offense in their background and been flipped over. Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech is one of the leading examples. He went there as a receiver, but he's going to make his money as a cornerback, and that's worked out quite well for him. So those are places that I see a ton of depth in this draft. And it's interesting because you would think there'd be a, a monster amount of depth at the quarterback position because we're probably going to have five go in the first round. But there's also a school of thought that we could have five go in the first round and not pick another quarterback till round three. I don't know that that's true. We talk about this stuff every year, and it doesn't really tend to play out that way. People get a little nervous and go, well, I better go get him now. And they go up and get guys, and sometimes quarterbacks get pushed up higher than they should go. But there is that where people will say, I've got third-round grades on everyone else, and I know that that's legit. Charles, Jets GM Joe Douglas has constantly preached about building this team through the NFL draft. With five picks in the first two days and five picks on Saturday. How does that help him execute that vision for the New York Jets? Oh boy, it helps in a huge way, Olivia, because if you are beholden to that statement and the ability to look at your roster, and let's face it, when you haven't won a lot of games, you're not necessarily picking and plugging and saying, okay, we need these three to get us over the top. You're talking about full roster. So, the old best player available mantra could be available for the Jets at darn near every pick, okay? Because sitting there at two, I think Joe Douglas did a, a great job in his press conference of not insulting people's intelligence. When people <laughs> ask, is it safe to say, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Well, I mean, who are we kidding at this point, right? So you go ahead and do that, and I really appreciated Joe doing that, and I think a lot of us did. But the second part now is, Every time your draft number comes up or if there's a certain guy you want, because you have the number of picks you have, you have some capital that maybe you can move a couple of things and go get a certain person if you want them. Or if you want to stick and make your picks every single time, you can say best player available mm -hmm. and it's going to make your roster better. And that's, you know, it's a lousy spot to be in because it means your team's not very good yet. But it's also a great spot to be in as you build towards being that good. And as we all know, Olivia, it doesn't take that long in the NFL to get good. And, and I don't mean to say that like it's easy because it's not. But how many examples have we had? Lousy one year. Boy, they're in the playoffs. How did they go from worst in the division to first? Sometimes they've had veterans there and, and they had a bunch of injuries and they bounced back. But other times it all kind of came together quickly and we didn't quite see it coming. And what a surprise it was. And whammo, here we are. So that's the way the league is built. And that's one of the things that I know that Joe Douglas and the Jets uh, administration are banking on. If we do our jobs well, free agency, drafting, and these kids play well early, we've got a chance to get better early, too, in this league. Charles, I'd like to wrap up on this. Head coach Robert Sala obviously came into the building, new head coach for the Jets heading into this season. A lot of people talk about the culture that he is trying to build and the energy that he brings 
into this building. What do you like about this dynamic duo in Joe Douglas and Robert Sala so far? Well, number one, I've, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of Joe Douglas's, and and now he's getting this this opportunity with a coach of his, you know, that he brought in. And so when they spend their time together with their vision of the team, it's not necessarily that previously you didn't have the same vision. There's always that thought, oh, wow, when a new GM comes in and a head coach is sitting in place, let's face it, we in the media side are looking, well, is there conflict? Do they not get along? Do they have different visions? It's not always that way. Sometimes you're just not able to execute it the way you want to. Sometimes it's too far down the road. But this time now, you bring in the guy that you want. You selected this person. Of course, you had your your people who were around and ownership and all that. And you're going to build that way. And that head coach has his own ideas about how, how to do things. But in the Jets case, Joe Douglas gets final decision. And when they make their pick, the best groupings, the best pairings in the league of head coach and GM, no matter who has the final decision making, they come out in lockstep. They come out and do it. And Robert Sala saw it firsthand in San Francisco with John Lynch as the GM, Kyle Shanahan as the head coach, with Kyle as the head coach having really the final decision making. So he knows how this works, except he's going to be on the flip side of it this time. And I think that that's, a, I th that's what I like about this. I think these are two very intelligent men who understand how they want to form a football team, understand how they want to build a culture, understand the types of players they want to bring into the building and how they want to coach them and, and, and work and organize that way. And now they're getting their first swing at doing so. So at this stage, my guess, Olivia, is that you already have your bracelet that says all gas, no brakes from, from Coach Robert Sala. And, and the rest of the organization is understanding this is what this man's going to be about. Charles is great, as always. New Paltz guy. Rocking the hat, the New Paltz hat. And he's one of basically a million people out there who think the Jets are going to take a BYU, Zach Wilson. Right. You, you published something, Mock Draft Mondays here uh, for the Jets, and you've been doing it for months. And uh, what's the percentage, you'd say, at oh. two now? Is it 100? Or is yeah, it I, I would say at, since, well, Maybe before Sam Darnold got traded, you get the occasional trade back yes. and then you'd get the occasional offensive lineman at two. Like if you wanted to do something a little different, maybe one Justin Fields, like out of 10 mock drafts, nine of nine and a half of them have Zach Wilson. Yeah. And now nine and 9.9 of them out of 10 have Zach Wilson. But this is why the intrigue comes at 23 and 34. So let's go back to some prospect ideas. Let's go to cornerback. Okay. Corner. Just want to make sure that, you know, it didn't sound like I was saying quarter cornerback is interesting. And I, you know, my gut is that you like JC Horn. It's not your gut. You know that for a fact. Well, it, it was a gut before I knew it for a fact. I, I, lo I love his upbringing. Joe Horn, uh, of course, played uh, receiver in the National Football League. He's a great competitor. Um, South Carolina was not a very good football team last year. Uh, Will Muschamp knows how to coach defense. J.C. Horn, uh, when he was on the field before, I think he opted out at some point during right. the season, right? Uh, he brings a tenacity to the cornerback position that I love. Um, and I think he's going to be a very good pro. Now, getting back to where is J.C. Horn going to fall, do you think still with Caleb Farley's recent medical questions – is he going to still be up there in the top 15 range? Or do you think there's enough questions out there where Farley drops, but we're still thinking Patrick Sertan, Sertan is the number one overall corner. 
Well, the latter. I, I think that based on reading the tea leaves of what the different analysts have put out there, it seems actually you mentioned the mock drafts, a couple mock drafts since Caleb Farley got hurt. For those who don't know, he had a, a second back injury, yep. didn't opt it out of the 2020 season. You know, I think he lost a family member a, a year ago and he like didn't want to risk at all potentially losing another one. And so he opts out of 2020. He's young to the position. He had uh, an injury in the past. I think both of the surgeries stemmed from a weightlifting accident or something. So Caleb Farley, I, there have been a couple mock drafts that have the Jets selecting him at 23. So, you know, th this is this is where I find it interesting. So if you're the Jets, too, that's a good point that we should hit on right now is that if you're the Jets and you're trying to continue to build this thing, I, obviously medical is going to be very important, but I think a project or a guy that you have to wait on just a little bit, if you know he's going to clear medically, that might be worth it for you, maybe right. compared to another team who is one, two players away or was in a championship game last year, last year in a divisional playoff game, that kind of thing, because the Jets, Jets are putting this thing together. Right, right. Now. yeah, you, you make a great point. And as you were saying that, I'm thinking about what Phil Savage said last year about Bryce Hall. Obviously, different situation. Bryce Hall was a projected day two guy, which means round two or three, and he was selected in the fifth round because of the injury. So the Jets got that discount sticker where you're betting on the player. And Phil Savage said in an interview afterwards, he said, we're betting on the future with Bryce Hall. So yeah. could that be similar to Caleb Farley, not saying the Jets will do that, but it, it reminds me of a similar situation because if you believe in Caleb Farley, the player, you have the 10 draft picks, and I think Farley is supposedly supposed to be ready to go by training camp, so it's not like he'll really miss a chunk of Yeah, and just think about time. the rookie class last year, how much time they missed. They right. weren't on yeah. a field at all until training camp. Yeah, so, I mean. Denzel Mims, unfortunately, he had a slow start to his career, um, and – much of that had nothing to do with him. Just bad luck. It's on the field has a couple hamstring issues. Right. And then before you know it, it's mid season, but he flashed down the stretch. And now if you're on, you're inside the organization, you're wondering what is his next step? Because big bodied receiver can go get it long strider. And then you got Corey Davis mm -hmm. in there. Uh, the wide receiver position. It's awesome. It, this draft. It was awesome last year. It seems like there's no end in sight, um, which is good. But the Jets, it positions, them, it positions themselves better at receiver position just by adding Davis and Keelan Cole. Yeah, and one thing on the corner situation before we talk about wide receivers. In terms of corner, like if Caleb Farley were there at 34, hmm. at the top of the second round, I think that conversation is a lot more interesting than 23. Because let's say... Let's say the Jets, in theory, take a quarterback at two and then take somebody at 23 that you think is ready to go. Yeah. Like from the get, whether that's, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, whether that's a different, an edge player, a different corner, whatever. If you're at 34 and all of a sudden you have Caleb Farley available and he checks medically, checks out medically, and you think that he can be an upgrade or at least compete from the get, I mean, that conversation to me is very interesting as opposed to 23. I don't know if you agree with that. I started thinking about um, when you said edge and my mind started just going off. 
I feel like Ojolari is going to go before 23. And, but it's not guaranteed. Is an edge off the board? And how many edges are off the board by the time the Jets pick at 23? Just because they got Carl Lawson, I don't think means that necessarily they're going to be staying away from edges. Right. So, same so, thing with Corey Davis and receivers, I think. Yeah. It's a little bit different, but I think the idea is still there. Right. And, you know, this is an interesting edge class because Ojolari and then the two kids from Miami, you know, they resonate right away. And Jalen Phillips, a physical freak. And, Rousseau, the last time we saw him play, he's 15 and a half sacks. So. Baldy's number one edge prospect. Yeah, and, and that was interesting. You know, uh, it, you never know where Baldy's going to go, but he's always in the lab and breaking it down with that headband on. And, you know, he, he loved <laughs> Rousseau, six foot seven. Uh, so yeah. it's like you take a step, you're at the quarterback already. <laughs> yeah, I love, real quick in terms of Baldy, what I love about Baldy is, you know, I, I feel like you start to see people – you know, different draft analysts, you know, it's a lot of the same. Baldy's just like, he doesn't pay attention to any of that. He goes, you know what? No, I like this guy because X, Y, Z, and da, da, da. So it's a little bit different. It's a little refreshing. I don't think the tape lies, and he's a big motor guy. He so is. for Baldy, if you're taking a playoff or a couple plays off or things like that, you're going down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Baldy will break you down. Let's, <laughs> let's just put it that way. So in terms of receiver, let's not even talk about Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. No. They're they're going to be gone by 23 unless something crazy happens. I mean, Justin Jefferson was the 22nd overall selection last year and not saying that, you know, that will His be the numbers case. numbers were staggering, by the way. Jefferson? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Sick. Anyway, <laughs> there's clusters of receivers. And, you know, I will say that if the Jets don't take a wide receiver in 23-34, there are still very good options in rounds three and beyond. So with that being said, we discussed Rondale Moore in our position preview video where we broke down a couple guys Kadarius Tony interesting Elijah Moore I think is a very interesting player too and you know the list goes on Terrace Marshall out of LSU another LSU guy well tell us more about Elijah Moore well Elijah Moore I think I think the book on him is that he wasn't in like a great situation you know I mean you, you think about the other teams like Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. I mean, th that team put up numbers. Ole Miss, I don't think put up the same numbers or got even got the same TV recognition. But Elijah Moore, I saw a video yesterday that showed like one of his best attributes is one route running and two, he doesn't slow down in traffic. Like he'll catch the ball and he'll just keep going and he'll make you miss. He's kind of like Kadarius Tony in that way. But I think Kadarius Tony gets a little more pub than Eli Moore and. When you look at the Ole Miss receivers in the past, A.J. Brown, mm -hmm. D.K. Metcalf, you know, maybe Elijah Moore is the next guy to one turn pro and two be very good his rookie year. That was a good pair in Tennessee. So it's all kind of coming full circle for me right now because A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, right? And, and then you had the powerful running back. So, you know, another guy who could be on the board, and I don't necessarily know if he's a system fit for the Jets, not that he's not a great player because he is. And I think he's going to be a productive player in the national football league is Najee Harris. So one of these teams is going to take Harris. Mm -hmm. uh, but did you get to Harris because you were thinking of Derrick Henry? Uh, well, yeah, I was just thinking of the, the way they built, uh, they build it. Uh, I think here it with the jets is that I think a lot of people think of it. And we were having this conversation with somebody the other day. I think a lot of people think of the Shanahan system and automatically say, well, we're going to be 
slinging the ball left and right, and maybe they think about a, a finesse-type system. The, the Jets are going to try to punch you in the face. It's Everything's predicated upon a run game, right. pounding you with the run game. Yes, your quarterback, you get them on the move and the rolls and the boots, but you're dialing things up down the field with the play actions. Right, and that's <laughs> – talk about Corey Davis he was fourth in play action receiving yards yep. or receiving yards off of play action behind DeAndre Hopkins Stephon Diggs and Calvin Ridley I mean that's pretty good company so obviously that attribute of his game worked for him in Tennessee and the Jets are going to hope it works here in New York with Mike LaFleur so and- Denzel Mims yeah again it's got to be stated once again you got to like what you saw out of him last year. He was the 13th receiver taken yeah. in the draft last year. And is this draft better at the receiver position? Yeah, it, it's it's up there. It's definitely similar. Okay. I, I, let, let me just say this about Denzel Mims. He ran a 4.38 at the combine. I mean, we probably didn't see him put on the gas as much as we wanted to because he had the, the hammy injuries and then, yeah, we, we just didn't see him catch and run that much, right? Like a lot of his receptions were go up and get it yeah. kind of reception. So I'd like to see Denzel Mims with the ball in his hands after like with some room to run because this year everyone's relying on the pro day numbers when the, uh, the scout times I Denzel Mims ran it, the electronic times as Dom green told us on the podcast before sterile environment. Everyone runs the same thing. Everything's timed the same way. So Denzel Mims, Yes, a burner, but well, yeah. yeah, these guys definitely benefited in some kind of way this right. year. The prospects by using your home track or, or whatever. There was no, no pro day where guys are working out. They're all being tested at their own individual schools, which I think inherently is an advantage for each of these guys coming out. Like we said earlier, the Jets have ten picks. It's going to be exciting to see how it all pans out in just a couple weeks in Cleveland, Ohio. That's all we have here on the official Jets podcast. The Draft Podcast presented by Pepsi. 